0: I, I said .com, didn't I? How did I say .com after all these years of of saying our <laughs> website? That was the opening music to North by Northwest, and this is part two of our epic review slash going through the movie and talking about it scene by scene. We'll probably end up talking about the movie for longer than the movie goes on at this rate, and uh, you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at www.classicmoviereviews.net. And in Facebook, if you search for ClassicMovieReviews.net, you'll find us there. And in Apple Podcasts and in iTunes, just search for Classic Movie Reviews. And I'm Matt Johnson, coming to you from cold but sunny North Bend.
1: And uh, I'm Bob Johnson, here in Los Angeles, welcoming you all back to Classic Movie Reviews. I was just looking at the time, uh, running time of this movie. It was two hours and 16 minutes so we're close to being able to break the record of being longer than the movie.
0: Well, yeah, because I think, yeah, I don't think we have to talk for that much longer to do, <laughs> to do that. <laughs>
1: so this is part two, and uh, our hero, Roger O. Thornhill, has, has uh, gotten on the train, and as you mentioned, mm-hmm. he's uh, hiding in the men's toilet. Oh, I guess it's the generic toilet, I'm not sure about that.
0: It just says toilet. It just says toilet.
1: <laughs> toilet. All right. Toilet. And uh, off we go for part two.
0: <laughs> yep. So, yeah, he's basically on the train trying to hide out from the conductors that are checking tickets. And he uh, gets by them and he's headed down the hallway. This is where he uh, runs into our other hero, Eve Kendall. Eve
1: Kendall, yeah.
0: And she has arranged it so that he will be seated with her at the table in the dining car. And this is a great scene where oh, they have some really wonderful dialogue back and forth.
1: It really is. And he continues to wear those sunglasses. So obviously, no one on the train will be able to identify who he is from the photos in the newspaper and the news flashes.
0: He's kind of like Clark Kent and Superman. All you got to do is put on the, the glasses. Right. And, <laughs> and,
1: a, and a really nifty suit. A suit that Clark Kent never owned, unfortunately. So they banter back and forth over dinner. And uh, I think this is where Roger lights Eve's cigarette with a book of matches that says R-O-T, Rot. And Eve asks him, what does the O stand for? And he said,
2: that's my trademark, Rot. Roger O.
3: Thornhill, what does the O stand for?
2: Nothing. (laughs) So it would be rot. (laughs) Uh,
1: You know, there's a lot of humor in this movie, which also uh, plays out in a lot of other movies that came after this, like the Pink Panther and on and on and on, where there's drama, mystery, intrigue, and uh, sleight of hand humor.
0: Yeah, there were some scenes where I was just laughing out loud, there's some good belly laughs, but a lot of it is very subtle, and a lot of it is like innuendo. Yes, oh. in this, in this, especially in this scene where they're they're <laughs> kind of uh, flirting with each other pretty hard.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to find a. Uh, I was reading where they had to change one of the lines that she speaks at dinner because it was thought to be too too. Uh... Oh, here it is. They redubbed it. Uh, one of Eva Marie Saint's lines in the dining car seduction scene was redubbed. She originally said, "And I quote: I never made love on an empty stomach." But that was changed in post-production to, "I never discussed love on an empty stomach," as the censors considered the original version too risque. Can you <laughs> give it today's? Give it today's film. <laughs> that's, wow, that's pretty tame.
0: Yeah, Today that would be
1: PG easy. thirteen, probably. Yeah, this,
0: movie, this movie would definitely be PG. I think, <laughs> uh, a, definitely.
1: I wanted to get that line in because I, uh, if you watch the film, you can see her lips don't quite match. What's what's uh, the over What the voice is? So. But anyway, they have a light, delightful dinner, bantering back and forth.
0: I think she's Eva. Uh, Eva Marie Saint is just gorgeous in this movie i think they did a really great job with casting her as the heroine
1: oh yes no kidding a beautiful woman she's
0: a she's a great actress and really has a great chemistry with cary grant and comes across as uh as a strong person you know like i think by the end of it you really are rooting for her to 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 get out of the situation that she's in, <laughs>
1: she would was... But at
0: this point, at this point, we don't know about that, right? No, like the,
1: no, we don't.
0: Uh, all we think of as at this point is that she's some woman that uh, he's met on the train and and is very much into him. Maybe because of the glasses, we don't know, <laughs> or, or probably his suit. <laughs> Maybe his suit, probably his suit. I do
1: remember seeing this movie and thinking, I wonder if train travel would be that way if I went.
0: <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> Well, as much as I've ridden the train back and forth between Portland, I, not as long as this one, but I, I can tell you that I got on some trains with people that had been on the train from California, and it's not like this at all. Oh,
1: boy. No, it's more like a bus, bus car.
0: I mean, they, they've been on the train for a couple of days, and they haven't showered, and, and they all look like they're just exhausted and, and can't wait to to get off the train, you know? Whereas in this movie, they're all dressed in suits, and they're all clean and they're all very polite and it's all nice and and elegant
1: it's like they were eating at the Waldorf Astoria
0: yeah and I think this is the romance of train travel like I maybe there were trains like this and maybe this does exist but I think for most of the time it's not like this
1: I think uh I watched a documentary on the uh train that goes from uh across Europe the one that uh, Hercule Perot solves. Murder on the Orient Express. I guess the Orient Express is is as fancy as, as we see in this film. And also quite expensive. I was going to mention with Eva Marie Saint, she was at the Turner Classic Movies uh, Film Festival, I believe it was last year, maybe the year before. She's as lovely today as she is in this movie. Almost 50 years later.
0: On the Blu-ray for this movie, they have a... Uh kind of a behind the scenes making of and she hosts hosts that and she just seems very genuine and like a warm person like she seems like a cool person to hang out with and be, it'd be neat to talk to her about all of the movies that she's been in. Oh,
1: wouldn't it? Have dinner, mm-hmm. it'd be someone nice to have dinner with. Have you ever seen On the Waterfront with Marlon Brando and her?
0: No, but I think we should put that on our list. That's on
1: our sure. list for sure. Yeah, that's a great yeah, movie. Yeah. So, they uh they're visiting back and forth and uh, romances in the air, and then the train stops, and she sees some police officers getting and on the train. She tips them
0: off that he that he better uh, not go a certain direction. Like, don't don't go this way. Go the other way.
1: And j- miraculously, they end up in her compartment.
0: And she's reading a book, and then the door knocks, and two police officers come in.
1: <laughs> she, she was perfect in that scene. Kind of slightly annoyed that they would be bothering her, but also yeah. passively aggressive, polite.
0: Yeah, and she does a great job of acting like she's so, she's scared or something, that there's a murderer on the train. What? He murdered somebody? I think
2: you'd better go out and tell us, please, to hurry. Patience is a virtue. He's always breathing.
3: Just lie still. Yeah, have you got any olive oil?
2: Olive oil? I'm gonna be packed in olive oil. I'm not
3: gonna be a sardine. Come in. Who are you?
4: State police. Your name, please?
3: Eve Kendall. Is anything wrong?
4: There was a man at your table tonight in the dining car.
3: Yeah.
4: A friend of yours?
3: Well, I never saw him before. Is this the man? Yes, I think so. It's not a very clear picture.
4: The wire photo, we just got it from the New York police.
3: Police?
4: He's wanted for murder.
3: Good heavens, no.
4: Stewart said you left the dining car together.
3: We might have happened to leave at the same time, but not together.
0: But, you know, meanwhile, he's up above in that little compartment that's sort of the, the upper berth, and <laughs> locked up in there.
1: Another test of his suit. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, and then it's, and then and then she undoes it, and he sort of like plops down, and his glasses got broken. Oh no!
1: I know his disguise is gone, but romance is uh, fully realized, should we say? Yeah. Uh, So
0: I was going to ask you. uh, So they're they're making out pretty hard in that next scene, and I was wondering. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it's implied that they have sex. Do you think that they have sex in that scene? Yes. In the dining dy- Yeah, Yes,
1: I do, okay. yes. In today's world, that would have been filmed.
0: Right, right.
1: <laughs> yes. she, uh, She's, uh, I guess she's. it's part of her job description that we don't know well, about do you, yet. But... Well,
0: but do you, do you think it, so do you think it is part of her job description or do you think that she was just charged with kind of keeping an eye on him? Because I feel like, she actually has feelings for him, yeah, that they're genuine i
1: i do I think that's what it is, yeah
0: it and I think that she sort of fell in love with him uh, almost against her will um, that's not what she intended.
1: it falls in that uh, famous sentence on descriptions, other duties as assigned
0: then the the porter comes in yes and she 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 hides him in the bathroom, and then there's that really funny scene where. He's kind of going through her stuff and finds this miniature razor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's about God. one inch long. <laughs> 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 that was so weird. I've never seen a, a travel razor that size before.
1: And she uh, gives the porter the key or the lock to that berth thing, saying that she found it on the floor.
0: Yeah, even though she had stolen it from him yeah. so that she could hide, hide Roger. Uh, so
1: then they show the scenes of the train traveling through the night.
0: And then they start making out again. Yeah. And she sends a note uh, with the porter down to another compartment where we find out that she's not who we think she is.
1: That's the first time we, we find that out because the porter hands the note to uh, Philip Damme and
0: uh, Leonard 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 <laughs> Leonard <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> just Leonard. There's no it is just Leonard.
1: Although that's not as good a name as Valerian. No, I love that. True. That sounds like something out of Star Trek. Captain Valerian yeah, of the uh, the bad guys' ship. Anyway, yeah. So we know that they're on the train. Yes.
0: Well, and we know that they're working with uh, Eve. So now we're so the plot thickens, and now we're cutting to the next morning where they're walking on the train platform, and he's dressed up as a as a porter with the red hat.
1: He's the best looking porter that will ever. Uh, Enter that station in Chicago.
0: God, he's a good. He's just such a good-looking guy. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I don't care what he's wearing. Even with that red cap,
1: he looked. He looked marvelous. He was
0: dashing. Yes. So there was a. So he walks right by some police officers because they're not expecting to see him in in a porter outfit. And then we got that great scene where there's a bunch of red caps and (laughs) a hundred of them. Yeah, they discover that, oh, Roger's probably hiding as one of them because one of the porters comes out of the train and he's got no clothes on. But what I loved about that was that he he did that on purpose because they paid him to get his clothes. Yeah,
1: when they leave, he's looking at this wad of money. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, uh, before I forget, this this, uh, Porter scene, I finally figured out who could play his role if they remade this movie. See if you agree. The new Roger Thornhill could be Hugh Jackman. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. He's I he's could see one that.
1: he's one guy that I think could pull that off. Not Yeah, cuz
0: he's sort of athletic and yeah. really debonair and good-looking and could yeah, he could totally play that. Maybe we good should call.
1: pitch that idea to Warner Brothers.
0: Can you imagine trying to remake North by Northwest? Oh, that uh, would be
1: It would be utter terror. It'd sacrilege. It would yeah, be sacrilege. It really would. <laughs> he makes it through the station sort of and then he has to call somebody, right? Remember that scene where she says to him, "Do you think you oh, might?" Oh no,
0: no, you skipped, you skipped over the bathroom scene. Oh, did that come first? Was he? Sha- oh, yeah, he, it was first. He's yeah. in the bathroom shaving with that tiny little razor and then the guy next to him's got this straight blade. <laughs> yeah. And he looks, looks like, like a he football can, player. It looks like he's going to murder somebody with that thing and he looks over at Roger and just gives him this raised eyebrow like, "Okay."
1: I can't remember. Did Thornhill say something back to him, or just give him a look? I, I don't remember. He just
0: gave him a look and shook his head.
1: <laughs> so then and he continued to shave. He uh, emerges from the so, restroom, and that's well. And then
0: and then there's a scene where Eve is talking on the phone, and oh, then they cut yeah. to Leonard. And I think Eve and Leonard are talking to each other, even though they're like six uh, phone booths away from each other. I'm pretty sure they're talking to each other.
1: That was perfect Hitchcock when. He takes the camera f- and goes down to the other booth. The camera goes by these booths with people in them, and then the end booth is, is where, uh, uh, what's his name is?
0: Leonard. Leonard. And, then they, and then they both emerge from the phone booths at the same time, which I thought was a great, very subtle way to tell you that they're, they were talking to each other. And then Eve meets up with Roger, who's now all shaved and d- dapper, dapper debonair again. And gives him a note because she's she's pretending that she's uh, was on the phone with Kaplan and she gives uh, Roger this elaborate note with instructions on where to meet Kaplan. And it's like an hour and a half outside the city, (laughs) some some highway in Indiana. Or
1: southern Illinois. Yeah, I was like, uh, and I was thinking to myself, like,
0: if I were Roger, I'd be like, "This is really weird. Like, I need to drive. I need to go on a bus for an hour and a half outside the city to meet this guy who's supposedly at a hotel in the city." But okay, <laughs> he
1: gets off the bus again. The suit looks perfectly pressed, and it's like there's nothing around but cornfields, and and they look. God, they I look love, like I'm ready I, to die.
0: I know that. I, I know that I'm going to be saying this along with about a thousand other reviewers, but I love this scene with the crop duster so much.
1: Oh. Well, you know, the whole movie is a, is about a dozen set pieces like that. This yeah, there's, is- the,
0: there's they're, they're, the opening shot for this set piece is this road that just seems to fade off into infinity and the bus sort of like pulls up and, and they just stay on that shot of the bus coming out of the horizon line and it just looks like they're on Mars or something.
1: I know, and it's hot and dusty, and our our hero is standing on one side of the road, and he notices the plane flying off in the distance, and then this old Chevrolet, a pre World War II Chevrolet, comes out of the from behind some corn, I think, yeah, and stops on the other side of the road, and out steps. A local guy. Again, he's in a suit.
0: Everybody's in a suit, yeah. He's got a hat a on,
1: a nice uh, Stetson or something like that. But he not, he's not even mentioned in the credits for the film, I don't think. He was in a lot of movies, but I can't think of his name. So he's standing on one side of the highway, and Roger's on the other side. And Roger finally decides to walk over to visit with him, which is odd. I mean, it's, he probably thought that was Kaplan.
0: I think he did. Yeah, I think he did, because that's the only dialogue in this scene that goes on for 10 minutes, almost 10 minutes of scene or, and action, and the only dialogue really is is that interaction with him and the farmer. And then just a couple lines after the plane crashes into the truck.
1: <laughs> that's it.
0: Yeah, that's amazing.
1: So the farmer does the typical, uh, yep, nope. <laughs> I, think, I think Roger decides this is not Kaplan.
0: I thought maybe he reminded me of some of our relatives. <laughs> <laughs> I have
1: one in particular, but I'll... <coughs> to protect well, we the, don't want to name... To protect we don't the innocent. No,
0: yeah, we don't want to name names, but Mr. Yeah. X. <laughs>
1: so then comes the bus the other direction, and I'm thinking, man, there's a lot of bus traffic on this stretch of road that goes... For miles without anything,
0: yeah, and that guy yeah. gets the... on. And so, so, uh, so, Roger is kind of just standing there, and he again notices this plane off in the distance. And the the farmer had mentioned that that's weird. The plane is dusting a crop that there, is, where there is no crop.
2: Huh. Hot day. Seen worse. Are you supposed to be meeting someone here? Waiting for the bus. Do any minute. Oh. Some of them crop duster pilots get rich. They live long enough. Yeah. Then uh then your name isn't Kaplan. Can't say it is, because it ain't.
3: Here she comes right on time. That's funny. But that plane's dusting crops where there ain't no
0: crops.
1: Yeah, which right away so would make you suspicious.
0: So that's kind of our hint that, well, that plane is something up. And then we get that iconic shot of the plane coming in from the upper left of the frame, and Roger's sort of in the the right side of the frame. And oh, then yeah. It, and it flies down into the frame, and Roger starts running, and the plane, like, flies over him. And I, I, I just think that that was so well done. It was... It was crazy that they did that with the technology that they had, but i 'm pretty sure they did that with a combination of on set uh, uh, on location filming and then also with the rear projection yeah. uh, when when it gets closer to him
1: it's so well done for sixty years ago. I wanted to backtrack for a minute. remember when he's waiting after the the guy leaves and those cars are going by like mm-hmm. they're going about ninety miles an hour and dust is flying all over and I laughed cuz one of the cars that comes by is the latest model biggest cadillac that they made in 1959 a beautiful black cadillac comes by you know by and I'm like w- where is that car going i think that was a, <laughs> i think that was another bit of humor cuz it was so out of place with the old chevy and the trucks and all
0: yeah you're right that's right
1: i think it's a yeah, it's, I... a, it's a, not only a cadillac it's a cadillac sedan deville
0: God, it's a beautiful car. Isn't there that- There's some great car, cars in this movie. Yeah, but I think you're right. I think that is kind of a little bit of humor because it's so out of place out in the middle of nowhere like that.
1: That thing probably weighed 7,000 pounds. <laughs> so anyway, he he, he uh, you were on the scene, which is, is it's on every uh, review of, of this film, him falling as the plane goes over.
0: Or, and and shooting at him, yeah. yeah. And then he he, it's kind of a cat and mouse with the plane and in, into the, the dead cornfield with all the stalks of corn. And then he uh, runs out of the cornfield and tries to stop this uh, truck, and almost gets run over in the process. But it does stop. That uh, was with a, him. <laughs> that was terrifying. Kind of un, under under the truck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Again,
1: the suit survived that.
0: The suit is an amazing it shape. Is. It must've been all. made out of
1: titanium, <laughs> Yeah. but, uh, then the plane cannot pull out in time and it crashes into that truck. That yeah. The plane truck. had already,
0: the plane had already committed to co- doing another strafing run and the truck was in its way and it couldn't get out of the way fast enough. And wow, that was a cool scene when it hit the truck. I forgot about that when I watched it again for that looks very time real.
1: Yeah. And so all these, uh, drivers stop in their vehicles, and Roger sees a way to escape. So he, he commandeers this guy's old Dodge pickup with a refrigerator in the back.
0: Yeah, and I thought he had a choice between the truck with the refrigerator or a, like a sedan, and he chose the truck with the refrigerator.
1: And the owner of the truck starts running after him. I think he's wearing bib overalls or some old jeans. It's Again, like –
0: yeah. Back by chasing him down the highway, and then I think that they 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 did that for the next scene, which is another bit of comic relief because now we're back in downtown Chicago and there's this truck with a refrigerator parked along the side of the road next to this fancy hotel, and the police officers looking at it like, "What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> Where'd this come from?"
1: Oh, uh, and now we we uh, I think Roger goes into I think it's the Drake Hotel that he's going into.
0: I think this is a uh, this that scene. So like that that whole thing with the uh, crop dusters is, is sort of the midpoint of the movie, and I feel like after that scene, he's sort of into full on secret agent mode. After yeah. That. Like yeah, I feel like something happened to him during that scene where he's like, "Screw this, man! I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out what's going on. I'm tired of getting pushed around. I'm tired of like being the victim. I'm gonna go after these guys."
1: I think I made a mistake. I think it's the Blackstone Hotel. But at that time, there were several of these really nice hotels in the upper Michigan Avenue part of Chicago. And uh, he he did something at the next scene that you could never do today. He figures out a way to get the room number.
0: Yeah, he just th- that was that was so surprising to me because you they would never give you that information today.
1: You'd have no chance at all at all of, of getting that today. In
0: fact, I don't even think they'll confirm whether somebody's staying there or not. Like you can't just ask, "Is so and so staying here?" Like they won't they won't tell you that. That's true. I don't think. But this happens a couple times in the movie where they they ask about so and so and they they get the room number, and it's kind of I'm glad they don't do that anymore. It's kind of scary.
1: Yeah, I mean, people wandering in. In fact, I've been in some hotels, like in New York City, where you can't even get on the elevator without showing them your ID and your room card.
0: Well, yeah, you got to have your key <clears throat> card, right? Yeah. So.
1: But anyway, in 1959, and, and it, it was a little more relaxed.
0: Well, and he figures out that uh, um, uh, Kaplan is not at the hotel anymore, and he's moved on to someplace in, is it South Dakota?
1: Um, uh, he doesn't know that. I don't know if he knows that yet or not. I think he finds that out later. No, wait but a minute. But he knows that. He knew he that. Knows that yeah, Kapl- he, yeah, he did know that because <clears throat> when he was out at the uh, Townsend Mansion, our uh, villain mentioned that he thought he was going on to uh, South Dakota, that Kaplan was. Yeah, you're right. He did know that.
0: Well, then, and then he sees Eve in the lobby here, so he's, he's sort of putting the pieces together. Uh, I think... He knows now that Eve gave him a bum deal on the directions to meet Kaplan out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs>
1: you're you're so. right, though. He's in full—he's in full offensive spy mode, and he—he he watches what floor she gets out on, and then she—he go, goes to the desk, and Vanessa's uh, getting the room number.
0: Goes up and knocks on the door, and then she acts all sort of like happy to see him, but he's not having <clears> it. <throat> Hello.
2: Surprised? Yes. You're getting rid of me, is there? I could use a drink.
3: Have yeah, some scotch
2: with water, no ice.
3: How did it go today?
2: The meeting with Kaplan. Uh huh. He didn't show up.
3: Oh.
2: It's funny, isn't it? Well, why funny? Oh, after all those involved and explicit directions he gave you on the phone?
3: Maybe I copied them down wrong.
2: I don't think you got them wrong. I think you sent me to the right place, all right.
3: Well, why don't you call him back again and see what happened?
2: I did. He checked out. Went to South Dakota.
3: South Dakota? Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Rapid City.
3: Well, what are you going to do next?
2: I haven't made my mind up yet. It may depend on you. On me? Sure. Sure. You're my little helper, aren't you? Thank you. To us. To a long and lasting friendship.
1: He's not having it at all, but before we forget, he calls the uh, concierge to find out if he can get his suit sponged and pressed in 20 minutes.
2: Hello, valet service, please. A valet. Now oh, this is. Re- oh, where are we? 463.
3: Well, four sixty-three.
2: Room four sixty-three. How quickly can you get a suit sponged and pressed? Yes, fast. Twenty minutes. Fine. Okay, four sixty-three. <laughs> <laughs> he, he may
1: be he may be a spy. He may be in chase and in in danger of being killed, but he wants a clean suit.
0: That's <clears throat> one of my favorite lines in the whole movie.
1: It's like it's like the old Billy Crystal routine that he had. It's better to look good than feel good, darling. remember that?
0: <laughs> and you you look <clears throat> marvelous. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that is a that is a great that whole another set piece in the room.
0: Uh Eve is not really letting on that he knows that she knows that he knows that, that she's not who she says he is. She is, but uh, she says that she has to go out and meet somebody. And he's like, "Well, I'm going to take a quick shower," but really, he's hiding out in the bathroom, spying on her through the crack in the door. Yep. And she he she had written down a, a address on a notepad next to the phone, and he did that classic spy. I know. How many
2: times te- have we seen technique. that in the film?
0: Where he takes the pencil and and scratches very lightly over the top of that to get the the address to pop out from the indent on the paper. I thought that's – is that the first time that was in a movie? Because it's been in a ton of movies after that anyway.
1: Uh, That might be one that came from another era. I don't know. But I know this. If I were going to make a note on a notepad in the room and was being chased or was a spy, I'd pick the bottom sheet of paper – and pull it out <laughs> right it's too it's too obvious
0: even two bozos like us got that figured out <laughs> <Right>.
1: <laughs> so from he kn- all the movies we've watched so he <laughs> knows that she's at a antique art auction somewhere probably not far from the hotel
0: i think i think he he yeah he figures that out she leaves and then i think what he does is he actually does take a shower and wait for his suit to get pressed and so he can get get cleaned up and look look good again.
1: It did bother me that he didn't get a clean shirt.
0: <laughs> yeah, that bothered me too. <laughs> I, I thought his shirt was probably pretty gross by that time. I would
1: think so, but maybe minor
0: he, Minor detail.
1: Maybe he just took a shower with it on or something. Who knows?
0: Or maybe he ordered a new shirt. Maybe they have shirts there and they just bring me a new shirt. Yeah,
1: that's probably what he did. That I'm more comfortable with that
0: yeah. So he shows up so at we, the art dealer. So then we cut to the scene in the art dealer, in the auction, and I thought this was so <laughs> creepy the way that they opened this where um, Van Damme has his hand on on the back of her Yes,
1: back. yeah.
0: Oh my gosh, that was such a well done shot because you can just feel the menace and the control right. and like how uncomfortable she is at the same time altogether. I think
1: that's also an indication that he's kind of suspicious that she may not be who she says she is because I would think by now he would have learned that uh, the uh, crop duster plane had crashed and right. that and that uh, Roger had gotten away. So I think he's a little suspicious. And then Leonard always looks suspicious of her.
0: Well, yeah, I think he is suspicious yeah. of her the whole through the whole movie. He's
1: lurking in the background, you know.
0: And then we get some great dialogue here where uh, Roger comes in and he's. He's again. He's in like spy mode. He's he's gonna not take their crap, and he's not gonna be the victim.
3: Nine hundred is bid. Now who'll say one thousand? One thousand, thank you. One thousand at one thousand. Say eleven 1, hundred. Can I hear eleven hundred? Selling at one thousand.
2: Three what? of you together.
0: Now that's 1, a picture 000... only
2: Charles Adams could draw. Good evening, Mister Captain. Before we start calling each other names, perhaps you'd better tell me yours. I haven't had the pleasure. You disappoint me, sir. I was just going
4: to say that to her. i always understood you're a pretty shrewd fellow at your job. What presents you to come blundering in here like this? Could it be an overpowering interest in art?
2: Yes, the art of survival. Well, have you poured any good drunks lately?
3: He followed me here from the hotel.
2: He was in your room? Sure, isn't everybody?
3: 150, thank you. Now say the two. Do I hear two? 200, thank you. Now the three. Do I hear three? 300, anyone? 300, thank you. Now the four. Do I hear four? 400, anyone? 400 is bid. Say the five. I have 400. I have 400.
2: I didn't realize you were an art collector. I thought you just collected corpses. Do I hear five? 500.
3: 500, thank you.
2: I'll bet you pay plenty for this little piece of sculpture. Now the seven. 700. 700. She's uh, worth every dollar of it. Take it from me. She puts her heart into her work, in fact, her whole body.
3: Sold, then, to Mr. Van Damme at 700. Number 106, for your pleasure, is the... Oh, Mr.
2: Van Damme.
4: Has anyone ever told you that you overplay your various roles rather severely, Mr. Kaplan? First, you're the outraged Madison Avenue man who claims he's been mistaken for someone else. Then you play the fugitive from justice, supposedly trying to clear his name of a crime he knows he didn't commit. Now you play the peevish lover stung by jealousy and betrayal. Seems to me you fellows could stand a little less training from the FBI and a
2: little more from the actor's studio. Apparently, the only performance that'll satisfy you is when I play dead. In your very next role, you'll be quite convincing, I'll
4: show you.
0: And he says some really hurtful things to Eve, or about Eve. Behind, but kind of behind yeah. her back, uh, and and she's she's tearing up. So I think that's an indication that she really does have feelings for him.
1: But he, he's really upset, and and I think all he's doing is making it harder for her because now Van Dam is like, "What's going on here?" Oh,
0: no, he's totally making it harder for her, and that kind of plays into yeah. what happens later when when the, uh, f the, the professor, professor kind of recruits him officially.
1: Who, who we find out in, in a little bit later in this scene, the professor is at the same office. Right,
0: right. So they're all here together, which is another trope in in spy movies where, like, they all get together in like a certain location, and but no, you know, they're sort of like not everybody's aware that they're all there. I think that's been done a it's, lot.
1: I think I've seen that in James Bond's movies and other ones as well. Many mm-hmm. times, it wasn't that funny when. Uh, when uh, roger starts bidding on some of the auction
0: items
1: (laughs) it was like it was like he was a nut job
0: i've always wondered like what would happen if somebody did that in an auction and i think this is a pretty accurate representation of what that would be like it's so awkward and uncomfortable (laughs) I,
1: i skipped ahead a little bit he's doing that because valerian is lurking in the hallway So he can't, Roger can't leave the auction for fear of being killed by Valerian. Yeah. So he starts in this nut job behavior to try to get uh, arrested so he can get out of there with the police.
0: Exactly. So he's got to try to make a scene. And uh, actually, the other henchman licked was the, I think he was the one flying the plane. So he's dead now.
1: Oh, he's, he's gone. Okay.
0: So it's Uh, just just Valerian is there and Leonard, uh, which is certainly menacing enough. Uh,
1: And I felt sorry for the poor auctioneer. Yeah, he's just, and he says something like, would you
0: please just get into the spirit of the proceedings?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then he has his uh, assistant call the police, which is what Roger was after. I was trying to see if I could remember to find that name of the auctioneer. He made a million movies. Oh, yeah, movies. he looks
0: super familiar to me. Les Tremaine.
1: Les Tremaine, yeah, Les Tremaine. He's made a lot of those uh, science fiction movies that we like to watch. He's a, in
0: a lot of Oh, those. yeah, that's right, yep. Uh, but I was wondering uh, why Leonard was... He, w- he was almost like he was part of the auction house because he went behind the curtain and then he was standing up there with the auctioneer. Yeah. And, I, and I wonder if... He wasn't in with the auction house somehow because that that was part of their uh, ring of spies.
1: That could be because that's where that that's where that artifact was that they were trying to retrieve. So I bet he was in. Cahoots. And we never
0: really figure out are, are these the Russians or like who are these people that he's working for? But I, I I'm assuming that they're the Russians.
1: Um, I, I think so. A lot of the. in in films that Hitchcock made, sometimes you're not sure who the villains really are. And after a while, it doesn't really matter. They just are bad people. Yeah,
0: I guess it doesn't really matter. But at this point in the movie, I was kind of wondering, like, who are these bad, you know, who are these people?
1: It would have to be the the Soviet Union back in 1959. I can't imagine who else it would have been. Anyway, um, he's successful in his ploy to get arrested by the police.
0: But the, the, if you watch that scene because I watched it a few times now, the woman sitting next to him thinks that what he's doing is oh. <laughs> so yeah, funny right. she's laughing and she thinks that he's a real crack up
1: I think she thought he was drunk
0: I think so too and and uh but she wasn't she didn't come across as being annoyed and a lot of the people thought he was funny like he was he was kind of uh, <laughs> not not the reaction I would have expected where they would have just been annoyed
1: he's successful.
0: So then he gets in a. He has to punch one of the security guards, and then the police come and take him out. And he says something as he's leaving, as he passes Valerian, says, "Let's take a little walk." No, no wait a minute. Get I, moving.
2: I haven't, I haven't finished bidding yet. <laughs> three thousand. I bid three thousand. Oh, sorry, old man. Too bad. Keep trying. <laughs> so rough. <Yeah. laughs>
1: Which is he keeps foiling Valerian.
0: Now we're in the police car, and we've got these two sort of stereotypical Chicago police officers.
1: Yeah, I thought, was looking for them, but I don't think they're on my list.
0: Uh, anyway, they might not be credited.
1: But they—they were—they were—they were in the kind of roles that my actor friend would have played, that I visit on Friday. You'd see them a million times; you just couldn't remember their name. Very, very strong, effective character actors. And he makes them feel like they're going to be really heroes.
0: Yeah, because he reveals that they've, they've really scored with this one because he's wanted, you know, by the. For, he's wanted for, you know, the murder at the UN. And, and they don't believe him at first, but then he gives them his ID and, and they're like, oh my gosh, it really is him.
1: What, what I found interesting, like, if that were filmed today, the, the police driver, the driver of the car, would have looked on his uh, laptop, the one that's bolted to the dash, and seen the picture immediately. But in the film, he sees the picture in a newspaper.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a little a little different technology.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, it is him. But then he then he, is and him. he
0: has to call it in, and he's thinking, well, this is great. You know, this is turning out to be a good night for me. But then he gets a message from headquarters like, nope. Take him to the airport and they're like, what? Okay. And the other police officer in the back seat's like, Where are we going? And and the guy in the front's like, orders. <laughs> I think they're uh, I think they
1: flew out of I think they flew out of Midway, which is the smaller of the airports in Chicago. It looked like that anyway. And who should be awaiting in the lobby?
0: The professor. But the and professor. we get this great scene of the lobby of the airport. And they have, there's two instances where we see the word Northwest. Uh, as he's going into the into the airport, above the door, it says Northwest in red letters. And then as he's entering above the ticket counter, it says Northwest Airport. And uh, I think that's kind of a little nod to the name of the film.
1: The professor shows some very strong credentials to the police, and they just leave Roger there and take off Rogers must be he must be confused at this point who is this guy now all
0: of a sudden I've got another person that I'm talking to and he's what's this and
2: I don't think I caught your name I don't think I pitched it you're police aren't you or is it FBI FBI CIA ONI we're all in the same alphabet soup Well, you can stick this in your alphabet soup I had nothing to do with that United Nations killing we know that You know it? Then why did you let the police chase me all over the map?
0: We never interfere with the police. unless absolutely necessary. It's become necessary. He never really says who he's with.
1: No, he doesn't. Roger's probably thinking he works in the accounting department of his firm. (laughs) Because he he blends right in. He he doesn't look like a spy.
0: No, not at all. I think that whole scene when they're on the tarmac is filmed in the soundstage with the rear projection. And they're like walking on a treadmill or something because... I, I think yeah. so, yeah. And then I wondered, I wondered about that also when they, they're talking and you're kind of getting some of the backstory here. And then the engine sound revs up and you can't hear what they're saying. And I, and I wondered what you thought about why they did that.
1: I think it's to uh, increase the suspense and drama because as the viewer, I remember watching it the first time. I'm thinking, what are they saying? What are they saying? I think it's setting up the scene that takes place at the uh, Mount Rushmore Memorial because they don't want you to know that. So you
0: think they're kind of like talking about how they're going to make it look like he's been killed and uh, yeah,
1: I think so. Gotcha. They're going to fake this. They're going to fake this uh, shooting.
0: You know, it's that's, that's that's so interesting to me. Like, I I think that's a really great example of a, a, a well written and directed movie where, It's such a little thing where they're they're walking along and they're talking and you can totally clearly hear what they're saying. And then they're continuing to talk and walk, but then the engine noise from the airplane is so loud that you can't hear what they're saying anymore. And you're you're sort of like at the edge of your seat, like, well, what are they saying? What are they saying?
1: Yes. I see that a lot in films and and, uh, drama shows on television. The subway goes by just as they're saying something that you can't hear. Yeah or the train goes by, or cars. I think it's used a lot. I I don't know if that was used in earlier films or not. That one probably was yeah, as well. Yeah, but
0: I, I don't know if it's if it's always effective, but in this movie, it, it really is effective.
1: It yeah. really is. And then we're on location, because uh, at Mount Rushmore, that, the opening scenes there, that really is Mount Rushmore, and then they kind of go back and forth from the sound stage to the real place.
0: Yeah, they've got some great... Uh, exterior shots of the visitor center and and there's some cutting back and forth you can tell some of it is rear projection and some of it's on on uh the sound stage and some of it's on location but what's cool about it is is it's not jarring it it all just it just seamlessly blends together and you feel like you're at mount rushmore
1: when i watched it when it came out I, i would have probably not paid attention to that because I was wondering what was going to happen when this gets set up in the cafeteria.
0: Yeah, you wonder why he's yeah, all there Yeah, you wonder why he walks into the cafeteria by himself and the professor sort of goes off in a different direction, and then he goes and gets a cup of coffee and sits down and it's kind of like, what is going on here?"
1: There's Van Dam and Eve and Leonard, and the professor is lurking somewhere in the shadows because he, he he's there. I don't know that we see him.
0: He's off the frame, but you know that he's 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 nearby anyway.
1: Makes me wonder how many other people in that crowd were secret agents when when supposedly Eve shoots Roger.
4: Good afternoon, Mister Captain. Not her. I misunderstand you about bringing her here.
2: We'll get to that later suppose you were surprised to get my call.
4: Not at all.
2: I knew the police would
4: release you, Mr. Kaplan. By the way, I want to compliment you on your colorful exit from the auction gallery. Thank you. And now, what little drama are we here for today? I really don't for a moment believe that you've invited me to these gay surroundings to come to a business arrangement.
2: suppose I tell you, I not only know the exact time you're leaving the country tonight, for the latitude and longitude of your rendezvous and your ultimate destination. You wouldn't care to carry my bags for me, would you? Perhaps you'd be interested in the price just the same. The price? For doing nothing to stop you.
4: How much did you have in mind?
2: I want the girl. I want the girl to get what's coming to her. You turn her over to me and I'll see there's enough pinned on her to keep her uncomfortable for the rest of her life. You do that, and I'll look the other way tonight.
4: She really did get under your skin, didn't she?
2: We're not talking about my skin. We're talking about yours. I'm offering you a chance to save it. To exchange it? Put it any way you like.
4: I'm curious, Mr. Kaplan. What made you arrive at the deduction that my feelings for Miss Kendall might have deteriorated to the point where I would trade her in for a little peace of mind?
2: I don't deduce, I observe.
3: Philip, if you don't mind, I'm going back to the house now.
2: Just a second, you.
3: Stay away from me. Let go, let go of Stay away from me, let go.
2: Let go of me. Save the phony tears. Just get back. You little
3: fool. You just stay away from me. Stop. No good, sir. You can't get involved in this.
0: Yeah, so they have it set up where he wants to make a deal with Van Damme. That he knows exactly where Van Damme is headed. He knows the longitude and latitude, and and in order to prevent him from telling the authorities where he's headed and what he's doing, he wants Eve. And he and the way that he says it, it's sort of like he, he says, "I want I want Eve to pay for what she did." So she, she, he, there's like this slight pause in the sentence, and 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 he says, "I want Eve." And you're sort of like, you, like, what does that mean? And this is to pay for what she did. And then you're like, oh, okay, I see. But I love I the way that that line is delivered. It's perfectly timed, you know. That's, that's another little detail that I noticed.
1: Some of the things that I read about this film say that this was Hitchcock's f- best movie. And he made so many good ones, it's like trying to pick an A from a group of A's.
0: Yeah, it's tough to say which one is his best, but this is certainly right up there. And it's one of my favorite movies. I mean, it's just every time I watch it, I pick up on other little things in it that I I do too.
1: Yeah, yeah, I do too. Uh, And then she shoots him.
0: Yeah, and I and I thought that was really well done, and it was very effective because it it, it, you're you're not really expecting it, except and this was really dumb. This made me angry. So, like on the Blu-ray, they have the trailers that would play in the theater like you know advertising the movie and they totally give that scene away they totally give the scene away where she shoots him in the trailer so you know going in if you've seen the trailer to the movie you know exactly what's going to happen right here i thought well you just spoiled one of the biggest shocks of the film
1: that's a bummer
0: yeah i would have been would have been upset if i had been alive in that time watching it in the theater but whatever I mean, now trailers kind of give you the entire movie in two minutes, and it's like, well, I've just seen the whole movie. Why even bother going? You know, <laughs> but it's, it's it's
1: such a fast frame that. It, like, <laughs> what was that they just said? Anyway, yeah. then we oh, the, the next uh, opening. They're they're kind of in a soundstage forest. I guess that's the way to put it.
0: Yeah, that was cool looking. That was all on on the soundstage, and uh, you know what that reminded me of. Do you remember in The Force Awakens the 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 new Star Wars movie, not the, the first new Star Wars movie? At the near the end when they're having that lightsaber duel, duel on the oh, planet. Yeah, yeah. And they have that's exactly what they did. They built a forest on the sound stage yeah. and it looked almost exactly like this, except it was wintertime and it was snowing, but that's what it kinda reminded me of.
1: They they uh they wanted uh Roger and Eve to visit or say their goodbyes, I guess, because she was going to go he roger learns that she's going to stay with van damme and go to wherever they're taking this secret stuff and roger wants none of it he doesn't want her to leave he thinks they've done enough used her enough and she's at risk of losing her life
0: and she's she's like well she's committed to doing this and she gets in the car and he's trying to stop her and she's start, starting to back out. And then one of the other agents comes up and punches him right in the face. <laughs> yeah. That's a,
1: somebody with the uh, park service. Here, take that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I think he, he must have been working as part of this secret agent group, though. Oh,
1: yeah. 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 And then uh, we, we see Roger hit the ground.
0: And then the next scene is he's in the hospital. But I think in this scene, though, in the forest, though, he it's a resolution of what we kind of saw at the auction house where he was so angry. Yeah. And and it kind of, it kind of brings it back now to where they are in love and he understands what she did and she understands where he's coming from. And and now they're sort of on a, on a level playing field of like being wanting to be together again, even though she knows that she has to go off with him and he tries to stop her, but he can't.
1: It, it was surprising to me that he ended up. He was in a hospital. Maybe they put him in for observation or something, or to keep him in protective custody or whatever.
0: Well, because he was supposedly shot, so I think they had to bring him there. To, oh,
1: yeah, that's right. Of course, to they like are.
0: say that they, you know, they're they're going to operate on him or whatever.
1: To to continue the uh, misdirection.
0: And it's also an opportunity for him to walk around in a towel with no shirt on. So, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> And,
1: and then the professor shows up and they they talk a bit and and uh Roger says well if we're going to have a drink get a larger bottle. Yeah. Oh, and I know the professor brings him new clothes because surprisingly his suit has disappeared.
0: And so I don't think he's got his uh, gray suit anymore, but he does no. have he does have a nice-looking shirt and pants combo and shoes.
1: You wouldn't believe the amount of stuff I read on that <laughs> because Everybody was commenting on how well his suit was tailored and looked immaculate and that the clothes that the professor brought didn't look like they fit him quite as well. The shirt was too big. The pants were kind of baggy. And I'm like, really? I when I was watching it, I was thinking, I don't notice that at all.
4: Hmm.
1: <laughs> but if, if you look at his white shirt, there's been a lot of critique of that being a not a good fitting shirt.
0: Well, what would the,
1: what would you expect?
0: Well, I'm looking at it right now, and I, and I, I would totally agree, and I think that's perfectly... In, that's part know. of the deal. Yeah, because like the, the professor doesn't know his measurements. He's going to say, well, I'm going to get a shirt that, well, this probably will fit him, but it's not going to mm-hmm. be tailored to, to his exact frame
1: he went to the local sears store in rapid city and got a white shirt i mean
0: it would have been weirder if he got a shirt and passed it fit perfectly like how did he, did he did he like measure him and then go get it tailored it, that would have been weird so this is <laughs> yeah. this was the right call well,
1: <laughs> my, my my only point there is that people dwell on all everything in this movie is it has been written about over and over again oh, including absolutely. the white shirt that he's wearing oh, i did totally. like the loafers that he had though he had new yeah. shoes and and really good spiffy. really
0: good shoes for what he's going to be doing later with the climbing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so while while he sends the professor off to get more liquor he escapes out of the uh, hospital window,
0: and there's another one of these five second scenes that are just hilarious, where he goes into another room and wakes up this woman, <laughs> yeah. and she's all offended that he's come in, and then she puts her glasses on and sees him, and she's like, "Oh, hello," <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. and he's like, uh, "No." <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> you don't
1: look at like at all like the spy that usually comes through here.
0: <laughs> that's, I forgot about that.
1: That's been in several movies.
0: Oh man, it's just little things like that. Like that's uh, totally unnecessary. Like that that doesn't advance the plot. It doesn't really. I mean, he could have just escaped the room and then he could have gone out to the house. But it's just that's what I love about Hitchcock.
1: How many times have we seen that kind of a scene in a James Bond film, one of the twenty-five plus films? Pretty much
0: pretty much seems like every, <laughs> every single <film. laughs> every one, yeah.
1: So he he takes a cab. I, I don't remember now. How did he know the address of Van Damme's beautiful home in the hills? I
0: think they were talking about it earlier, how Van Damme has a compound out there, and I bet that he was able to figure out either just by telling the cabbie, you know, I need to go to this Van Damme's compound, or maybe he got the address from somebody along the way. But that made sense to me that he would know where it was.
1: I was reading where uh, Hitchcock wanted a home that looked like it had been built art and designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. And so they, it was not a real house that was uh, done in the studio. It was a beautiful-looking home.
0: Yeah, because th- when I first watched it, I thought, boy, that looks like a Frank Lloyd Wright a house yeah. but it it wasn't. It was sort of a a wannabe. I thought they did a good job making it look like that style though.
1: He gets out of the cab and and uh how does he get through the gate?
0: Actually the gate was open.
1: How convenient.
0: It was just open, Because yeah, we he comes out of the cab and then he gets this really great shot of the house all lit up on the hill. And then he walks up the hill kind of stealthily and then underneath the cantilever. And yeah. there's this great shot. Which is a combination of, I think, matte painting and some on-set stuff of these giant iron support beams, and they're sort of like this angle going out of the frame, and I thought that was just a really cool-looking scene of him underneath that cantilever.
1: And the guy, I mean, at this, I don't know what I don't know what his age was when he made this film, but he's in marvelous shape. I mean, he doesn't look like he has two percent body fat.
0: Oh, you mean uh, Cary Grant? Uh, Cary
1: Grant, yeah. When he's climbing around that house, trying to get Eve's attention.
0: He was in really good shape. He was born oh, in ni- yeah. he was born in 1904, so
1: 1950. So he'd been 55 years old.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. He's in great shape.
1: Yeah, the Jack Lalane of film.
0: And actually, uh, he looked like he was in good shape through his whole life. I, he must have taken pretty good oh, care. I of himself. think so.
1: Yeah, even when he was in his 70s.
0: Yeah. Did okay. you read that he went on a a tour in in the later years of his life around the country and it was a conversation with Cary Grant is what it was called.
1: I read about that and that's I think he died when he was in Des Moines or one on 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 that tour. I Man, think he, I
0: was I wish I would have been old enough and and aware oh, enough to, to go see that because that would have been so cool.
1: It was a one person show. He just come out on the stage and talk about his life and answer questions. Yeah. I can't remember what town it was, though, when he passed on. But he was on that tour. He was on several boards of directors of companies.
0: And he was a full board member. It wasn't just like an honorary board member. He was was a really good business person.
1: He's throwing stones at the window of Eve's room.
0: I think they're coins. I think he's oh, throwing coins because oh, cool. they kind of ring like metal. Yeah, you know? she hears it and kind of looks up, but doesn't see him because at this exact same time, Leonard also ha- has heard this and it kind of oh, comes. Oh yeah, that's, that's and so cool. Roger has to duck down and hide, and then Eve goes back inside. So then he climbs up to Eve's room, but before he before he does that, he overhears Leonard and yep. uh, Van Dam talking about the fact that they know Eve faked shooting Roger. Um, And this is the scene where it becomes really obvious to me, at least that Leonard has feelings for Van Damme.
1: Yeah. Because he, he comes in and he uh, purports to shoot him.
0: You must have had some doubts about it yourself
3: and still do rubbish. Why else would you have decided not to tell her that her, little treasure here has a belly full of microfilm. You seem to be trying to fill mine with rotten apples. Sometimes the truth does taste like a mouthful of worms. Truth? I've heard nothing but innuendo. Call it my woman's intuition, if you will. But I've never trusted neatness. Neatness is always a result of deliberate planning. She shot him in a moment of fear and anger. You were there yourself, you saw it. Yes. And thereby wrapped everything up into one very neat and tidy bundle. A, she removed any doubts you may have had about her, uh, what did you call it, her devotion? And B, she gave herself a new and urgent reason to be taken over to the other side with you, just in case you decided to change your mind. You know what I think? I, I, I think you're jealous.
4: No, I mean it, and I'm very touched. Very. Really? well.
3: The gun she shot Kaplan with—I found it in her luggage. It's an old Gestapo trick: shoot one of your own people to show that you're not one of them. They've just freshened it up a bit with blank cartridges.
0: And he says, "My woman's intuition tells me." And that yeah. was again that that little that little nod to the fact that he was playing a gay man in the movie.
1: And Van Dam is so upset he slugs him.
0: Yeah, I think I couldn't tell if he was upset that. That he was pretending to shoot him, or he was upset that he revealed that Eve was a traitor to him, or maybe both. Probably, both. probably
1: both. Probably both. But that is a that a well. That's a well played scene.
0: Mm-hmm. Now there's the, another thing I read here is that they're talking about the plane and how the plane is coming in. Yep, a certain way that it's going to be landing in ten minutes. And it's exactly, and I timed it when I looked at, the, it's exactly 10 minutes before, when they say that to when the plane lands. Just a little, like a little bit of neat editing there about oh, making nice. that making that match up, yeah.
1: Nice. Eve hears the shot, and then she comes downstairs, right?
0: Yeah, and she says, well, what was that? Did, was did that? you hear that? And they're both like, well, we were wondering what that was too. And, yeah. and Leonard's like in the couch uh, sitting, because he got punched, and he's pl- kind of playing it off like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> Everything everything's fine.
1: And meanwhile, Roger's up on this upper deck that opens up over the living room, and I think he writes on a book of matches, his ROT matches, a note.
0: Yeah, and he says that they're on to you, I'm in your room, and he throws it down to her. Yeah. Yeah. And Leonard sees it and I'm like, oh shoot, he's gonna know, but he doesn't he doesn't know what rot stands for. <laughs> <laughs> Well,
1: Leonard can't know everything.
0: Yeah, but Eve does. Eve knows what Rot stands yeah. for and knows that it's from him. So then she finds an excuse to go back up to the room, and uh, they have a quick meeting, but she can't stay in there for very long. And and Roger's like, whatever you do, don't get on the plane. Yeah. So that so now we're sort of like wondering, how is she going to get out of this? Because, like, how is she going to The gonna tension escape?
1: is building, because you can hear the plane is nearing. Yeah. And... Uh, as there, as as uh, Van Dam, Eve, and Leonard are leaving, well, the the maid is there. The same woman that was at the Townsend mansion. Yeah, Lick's, at the Lick's, uh,
0: Lick's wife, I think. Wife. Yeah.
1: She was a very devoted spy.
0: She was career spy. She was there.
1: Career spy. <laughs> I,
0: I I pictured her as like a Russian spy that had been like trained from. Uh, childhood kind of like you know there's like some of those movies where they have they show like a, a russian spy a female russian spy that's been trained there was oh that. yeah there's been a well, couple that... of them like that in red the, sparrow in the, i think was one of them recently
1: in the james bond the second film they made was from russia with love and the chief spy in that was a woman that had been trained from her childhood to be a, a soviet spy yeah and she so. was evil she had a knife in her shoe
0: yeah, so that's kind of how I pictured that's, this woman. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to mess
1: with her. Don't tell her that the uh, dusting wasn't done well. She off you. But uh, they're leaving the home, the, whole, he, the house.
0: He, yeah, so Leonard, Van Damme, and Eve leave to go out to the plane. And then she catches a glimpse of Roger
1: through a, through a uh, not a mirror, but some kind of reflection. Uh, television. She's, television she, sees, yeah. she
0: sees him reflected in the television. Which I thought
1: was really well done where he's upstairs in the television reflection. She sees and catches him and has that gun.
0: Yeah, and it's great because Roger has no idea. And she plays it off as like, okay, I'm not going to let on that I see him. And then Roger comes down the stairs and there she's standing with the gun. But we don't know that this is the gun with the blanks. (laughs) Yeah, no, we,
1: we don't. In fact, it's revealed a few seconds later or minutes later that He's held up because it took him forever to realize this is the stupid gun they shot me with.
0: Yeah, and and meanwhile, we cut to uh, Van Damme, Leonard, and Eve walking down the hill toward the plane, and, and Eve is clearly, clearly uncomfortable and trying to think of a way to get out of this situation. And her chance comes when we hear gunfire at the house, and then Roger runs out of the house and jumps into the car, and Van Damme is sort of thrown off and lets go of her and then she runs away from him to the car and Van Damme and, and mm-hmm. Leonard are chasing after them but they're able to escape and they're driving off in the car and you're like yes they've escaped except the gate is locked and they can't <laughs>
1: now the gate is completely closed
0: <laughs> yeah and they can't get out so they have to get out of the car and they start running through the woods
1: and the music is now just perfectly matched to this part of the film well it's matched oh, perfectly throughout the film but Bernard Herrmann's music it, this film would be much less without that
0: oh totally, the music is such a huge part of the, the tension and the the, the the sort of the anxiousness of, of these scenes um, and
1: how, how convenient that the Van Damme mansion is right above Mount Rushmore and the four presidents no
0: good, we're on top of the monument that was another cool reveal like (laughs) first of all i don't think that there is anything up there behind there
1: i think that's probably government (laughs) land but yeah he had connections
0: yeah so they they're running through the woods and then all of a sudden boom they're right on top of the the mount rushmore monument
3: what do we do climb down we can't
0: here they come we have no
2: choice
1: and they look down and there's the visitor center looks like it's 2,000
0: feet below them. And the wind is blowing. Oh, yeah. And the way that they shoot it, it just makes you feel like vertigo, like they're really high up. And there's a couple scenes where they slip, and and it's like a physical reaction I have. is like, oh, God, that must have hurt. Oh, geez, that must have hurt. You know, and it's just the way that they shot that and edited it it really builds and builds up the tension. (laughs) ¶¶
1: Hitchcock used these uh, big set pieces like the Mount Rushmore, in other films like in Saboteur from the early '40s. He, the ending takes place on the Statue of Liberty,
4: mm-hmm.
0: completely
1: built within within the studio. Yeah, and, and all that, this
0: is all this is in the studio with uh, rear projection because yeah. the the Park Service wouldn't let them film up on the monument, and I mean for. Probably for safety reasons, but also there was a scene where one of them is in the nose of yeah. That, of I,
1: I was reading about Hitchcock often told journalists of an idea he had about Cary Grant hiding within the hiding from the villains within Abraham Lincoln's nose and being given away when Grant sneezes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, and and the that, park that service did a little too
1: cornball. For...
0: Park service didn't like the fact that they were going to be making fun of the uh, a monument no. like that. So I think that also contributed to them not being able to film up there.
1: Boy, that I don't know how long that that whole scene is on Mount Rushmore, but it's action packed from beginning to end.
0: Well, let's see here. It starts at about 2 hours and 10 minutes and it goes until it's about 5 minutes long. But it, I feel. I swear, it feels like it's only about a minute because it's just going. I everything's know. happening so fast.
1: And he pleads with Leonard not to step on his hands. And
0: yeah, it's funny because he's uh, like, "Please help us, help us!" And le- and there's a moment where, yeah, I think, oh, Leonard's going to help him, but but then it switches over to no, Leonard's going to put his foot on his hand. You know, I love that. There's just a very subtle bit of acting there that yep, Martin Landau does. Yeah, that's really great.
1: He's such a good actor. And then Valerian, of course, is again around, but he meets a, a bad ending.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a great scene where Valerian uh, is around the corner of one of these boulders, and, and Eve screams, and then Valerian jumps onto Roger, and they kind of tussle, and then uh, Valerian is knocked off the edge, and you can see him falling down, and I know that they did that by... Putting him like on a like almost like a chair and like pushing pulling him away from the camera and then overlaying yeah. that on the 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 screen. So I thought that was well done though. It gives you a sense of the height that they're at.
1: Man, that that whole ending is is, is, is wonderful. And then uh, uh, Ro- uh, Leonard gets shot as he's stepping on Grant's Roger's hands.
0: hands. Yeah, and, and there's a great line by uh, Van Dam saying, "Well." Thank you, Sergeant. That wasn't very sporting. Using real bullets. (laughs) (laughs) Using real
1: bullets. (laughs) bullets. And there's like six people up on top of the monument
0: watching all this. Yeah. So so now all the bad guys are kind of accounted for, but still Eve is like hanging on with her fingernails practically, and Roger has to try to save her, and he just gets her, just grabs her hand. And is going to pull her up, and then they do a quick cut to the train. And I thought that was a brilliant cut. Wasn't there. that
1: something? He's pulling her up into the upper berth?
0: Yeah, so the so they don't have to dwell on the fact that he saves her and all sort of the, the things that happen after that. It's just like, yep, he saved her, and now they're going to live happily ever after.
1: <laughs> was, it, was it that scene before he pulls her up into the berth? Was that where he reveals that uh, his previous wives thought he had a dull life?
0: Yeah, it's kind of, it's it's at the beginning of that scene at Mount Rushmore where he says that, Why he, she asks, well, why did your otherwise divorce you? And, and he says, well, they all said that I lead, lead too much of a dull life or something.
1: I could see him going on to become a master spy.
0: Well, I thought the two they, of should, them. They, should not, they shouldn't remake this movie. They should make a sequel to this movie. And it would be kind of like that Mr. and Mrs. Smith movie where they are a yeah. husband and wife spy duo. Yeah. Yep.
1: Gosh, it was such a good movie
0: oh wait we can't, we can't, we can't end oh. our review without saying that that scene the very very ending scene with the closing credits where the train goes into the tunnel was just brilliant <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah even I in uh, an early age got the, got the uh, symbolism <laughs> yeah. the music uh, comes up and the lights come on and everybody leaves the theater like wow that was a roller coaster ride for sure. Yeah,
0: what a great movie. So what was your rating? Tell me again. A, a
1: 10. I gave it a 10. Yeah, I mean, obvious, 10. obviously
0: it's a 10. There's no yeah. doubt. No doubt. Yeah, it. It's there's, one of the best. There's really nothing in the movie where I was kind of like not, not happy with how it was put together or wondering why they did it that way.
1: Uh, and it made uh, a lot of money. It was very, very successful. I forget the figures. I don't think I have them now, but in today's dollars, probably would have been one of those blockbusters. And I think it came out in the summer of 1959. You know, every summer, there's a lot of action movies that come out.
0: Yeah, I was trying to see if it... July 28th of
1: 1959 was the release date. Yeah. I think I probably went...
0: The budget was about $3 million. It grossed $13 million, And cumulative worldwide gross is $22 million. I feel like it probably made more than that. But.
1: And, and then you convert it to today's dollars.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true.
1: I cursed, I cursed the three amigos. I yeah, hear they, them.
0: <laughs> they can't make it through a podcast without joining in.
1: <laughs> they, agree with, they agree with the 10. Yeah. Oh, that's a wonderful movie. You know, and there's so many movies that he's made that we could review. Saboteur, Psycho, Vertigo.
0: Well, I think on that's a good, that's on. a good segue into talking about our next five yes. movies because yes. it gives me an idea for another series of movies. But we're gonna do five movies in a row from director Robert Wise, and we're gonna try to do them fairly quickly, so we're not spending the next half a year on this. Uh, but. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And we've picked them from uh, uh, different different times, from 1944 up through to 1979.
0: Yeah, different decades, and they're in different genres. So we're going to start off with Curse of the Cat People from 1944, and then we're going to go to Day the Earth Stood Still from 1951. And I then, still
1: remember going to that movie with my dad.
0: Yeah, you, you, you said that that was the one movie that your dad went to with you it's, that you remember he really liked. Yeah. I do.
1: Yeah, he he wasn't a big movie buff like my mom, but yeah.
0: he liked that one. And then we're going to do Run Silent, Run Deep from uh, 1958.
1: Action and tension between Burt Lancaster and uh, Clark Gable. Yeah, uh, that's
0: I've never seen that one. That's going to be good. And then West Side Story from 1961. Yep. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm I'm a little bit embarrassed to say I haven't. I've never seen West Side Story. So that'll be new to me. Oh,
1: wonderful music. But look at the genres that Weiss did. Horror, science fiction, military, musical, and science fiction. Star Trek the movie from 1979 being our last film. He could do any, any genre.
0: Yeah, and we should say that the Star Trek the motion picture is generally pretty panned by critics and, and Star Trek fans alike. But I think there's some things in it that are really well done and it'll be interesting to talk about that and then we're going to pair that it's going to be a double feature with Star Trek The Wrath of Khan even though that pushes us into the 80s we we just can't not review Star Trek The Wrath of Khan we have to do it
1: the best Star Trek movie so far ever made
0: I mean you could make that argument for sure so I think that's what we'll talk about in that episode as well
1: All right. so that's
0: coming up that's uh, that's going to be super fun and I I wonder if we shouldn't be thinking about maybe doing a similar kind of run of Alfred Hitchcock movies.
1: Uh Oh boy, we, that would be great cuz he made so many.
0: We could pick we could pick uh a series of films from different uh decades that he's that he's done. So, we'll think about that. Thir- and of course,
1: the 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s. We could do four.
0: Yeah. And we've done a couple already, so we, we've we've got to start on on doing all of his films. I mean, doing all of his films would be would take longer, obviously, but we <laughs> maybe we'll get there eventually.
1: Excellent. Well, all right.
0: Well, that was uh, that was fun. That was going back to the early days of our podcast of doing these scene by scene. That was uh, really really fun to do.
1: And I believe we uh, between the two episodes that we've done have talked longer and had a longer podcast than the actual film.
0: I think so. And that's okay by me. (laughs) 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 All right, well, Uh, until next time, this is Matt Johnson coming to you from sunny North Bend.
1: And Bob Johnson in Los Angeles wishing everyone happy movie watching. Well, that was the uh, podcast for uh, North by Northwest. But one of the things that Matt and I talked about before we did the podcast was the uh, issue of uh, Cary Grant's suit. So I looked it up, and then we forgot to put it into the podcast. So here goes. From what I found uh, in some really extensive research uh, was that there were 16 suits made that were identical The original suit was designed by uh, Arthur Kilgour of French and Stansbury in Civil Row, London. And that was the original suit. But they realized they they were going to need more than one. If anybody has seen that film, they would know why. Um, So they made the 16 suits, and the film actually... When it was being made, they used six of the 16 suits. And uh, most of those 16, other than the original, and maybe one or two others, were uh, tailored by uh, Quintano, which was a tailor in Beverly Hills. I don't know if it's still there or not. And also, also, uh, it made me wonder, and Cary Grant had a contract that said he got to keep Costumes that were used uh, during the films that he made. So I'm imagining that he kept some of those suits for himself since there were 16 of them. So that's the story of the suit.